0: I just want to say thanks to all the Cornet uh, folks for the opportunity to share our perspective. Appreciate you all joining. Um, I don't know that I have good news, um, but you can see the, the title of the presentation there. Um, we believe we're in, kind of in for a, a bumpy ride here over the next you know, six to 12 months. But I think also uh, worth noting that volatility does often create opportunity I think particularly for uh, corporate occupiers. And so sometimes bad news, I guess, can be converted into good news and into good opportunities. Uh, Maybe that's the way to look at it. Um, So David's gonna be driving the slides. David, would you mind going to the next one, please? Okay, so there are two parts to this presentation. Um, I'll go first, I'll cover the uh, the economic and office sector uh, outlook for the US, and then I'll hand it off to David and he's gonna share some thoughts on the Chicago market. David, by the way, is based right there in Chicago. He studies that market very closely. uh, So you kind of get the the on the ground uh, perspective as well. Uh, We'll probably go for maybe 40 minutes or so uh, in terms of the presentation material and then we'll uh, hopefully have some, you know, plenty of time for Q&A at the end. Uh, We go to the next one. And you can just go one more, David. Perfect. Okay, so I guess the first point, and I'm sure you all know, um, the economic outlook has worsened considerably. Uh, and here you can see the bulk of the economic indicators do point to weakness. And I'll just mention a couple of these. Um, so chart on the top left, uh, the yield curve. There's actually you know different types of yield curves, but the one that is often the best predictor. Uh, is, this, is what I'm showing there, the spread between the 10-year and the two-year. So that curve has now been inverted since July 5th. And when that curve inverts for a sustained period, it has successfully predicted a recession, I believe 100% of the time. I, I think it's seven for the last seven. And the curve has now been inverted solidly for three months. And so if history is any guide uh, we really can start the clock typically once the curve inverts we do fall into a recession sometime in the next 12 to 18 months um though my sense is this one might actually come a bit sooner all recessions are different right and so i'm going to talk a little bit uh, about that here in, in a minute um I'll, I'll mention a couple more uh copper prices also a very good predictor um copper is actually uh, used in uh, uh through, kind of throughout the economy for home wiring to factories and industrial machinery, electronics, and because of its widespread use, it's, it can sometimes be a crystal ball for the global economy. And you can see what's happening with copper prices. It's trending lower. It does indicate, uh, you know, weakness is forming. Um, consumers are losing confidence Chart on the bottom left. Um, it, inflation's obviously uh, still very much a problem uh, the, the latest reading on headline inflation in the U.S. was up, up over eight percent year over year. So that's four times, roughly four times, higher than the Fed's target rate of two percent, two two and a half percent. Uh, housing chart on the far right, bottom right, uh, is starting to get crushed by by the move up in in mortgage rates, which have basically doubled since the beginning of the year. And so, all all in all, not good. Um, the economic data is clearly flashing plenty of warning signs. Uh, if you go to the next one, please. Um, so odds of a recession are, are rising fast. Uh, it's basically a you know, sort of a coin toss at this point. Um, uh, the chart on the right um, shows that economists are, are pretty split on sort of precisely when the next recession will start. Uh, about 25% think it'll start sometime between now and the first half of 2023. Uh, a 25% thing, maybe second half of next year. I think regardless of the exact timing or or, or whether or not we even ultimately tip into a recession, economists are aligned across the board that economic growth is going to slow sharply and there is going to be uh, some pain that is felt. If we go to the next one. Um, okay, so everyone's you know trying to figure this out, trying to figure out sort of the, the contours of this slowdown. Uh, you know, what what was this ultimately going to look like? And there's lots of different scenarios, but there are really two that are emerging as the most likely. And it's scenario one, which is that soft landing scenario on the far left, and scenario three, which is the mild recession. Uh, so soft landing scenario. You know, that's obviously the, the hopeful scenario, um, basically assumes nothing else will go wrong at this point. I think most importantly, it assumes that the Fed uh, will be able to successfully slow the economy without causing a recession. Uh, so some economists are are still in that camp. Um, our base case at Cushman Wakefield is now calling for a mild recession. Uh, we now see that as the most probable scenario. And the, the thinking there is that is that inflationary pressures are going to remain sort of stubbornly high, uh, and more likely than not, something else will go wrong, um, right, that there's still you know, tremendous risk around the Russian-Ukraine war and what that means for oil and food supply, that there is uh, you know still supply chain risk as it relates to uh, China's zero COVID policy or another pandemic flare up, we're just now entering, uh, you know, hurricane season. We just saw the economic damage caused uh, by Ian. There hopefully won't be more, but there, there you know, likely uh, will be others. And we, uh, you know, we just learned today that uh, OPEC Plus will be cutting oil production, and that has implications for for inflation. And so, just more likely than not, uh, also the Fed. Uh, will not successfully land this perfectly and in their attempt to quell inflation and will likely hike rates to the point where the economy does enter a downturn. And so that's really our base case. Though so I, I would emphasize that we're in this, I would emphasize the word mild. So the thinking there is that the downturn might not be that bad. Uh, so sort of, you know, no recession is pleasant, but The thinking is it'll be sort of less than a typical recession, which largely links back to the strength of the consumer going into this slowdown and the strength of the labor markets, uh, which should help uh, the economy, we think, be more resilient uh, and and sort of power through this a little bit better. Um, There's other scenarios, severe recession, stagflation, many others. I, I won't get into those right now in the interest of time. But. I would just say that those are sort of lower probability scenarios, but certainly still in the cards, right? A lot of uncertainty. Uh, We can go to the next one. And this is just showing the economic forecast behind uh, uh, those four scenarios. Um, The only point really I want to make here is unless we do get that soft landing, which again, I I think increasingly seems like a long shot, uh, what this recession uh, ultimately means, whether it's mild or something worse, is that we're looking at likely more damage to the office sector fundamentals, right? So more vacancy is coming. Um, even if we just take the mild uh, recession scenario, there, uh, you know, one that does would result in 1.4 million job losses. Uh, that implies roughly, you know, 350,000 of those would be office using uh, 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 job losses. And if you just say, let's assume 125 square feet per worker. You know that works out to roughly 40 million square feet of additional vacancy right so i think more likely than not we are looking at uh more vacancy uh going forward i'll talk more about that in a second you go to the next one uh, did, did want to um give you one key indicator to watch given the level of uncertainty right this could still go in a lot of different directions and i think an important indicator to watch is the quit rate so um Uh, you know, a lot of the economic problems really do link back to inflation and specifically to the labor markets, which are running very hot still. And so we're kind of dangerously close to entering what is called a wage price spiral. And that's where higher inflation causes workers to demand higher wages, which causes firms to in turn raise prices because they have to offset the higher labor costs. And that causes workers to go back and demand even higher wages and sort of up and up you go with inflation. And we saw that in the 1970s, It's sort of this nasty spiral that's hard to get out of. And so but if the Fed can bring balance back to the labor markets and get these wage pressures under control, then, you know, then they will likely lighten up on interest rate hikes, which is, I think, really key to the to the milder scenario. And so the quit rate is really important because it's a leading indicator. It leads wage growth by two to three months. And so when the when the job market is humming along, you know, people quit their jobs and they, you know, take a new job, which that job often pays more, and which is sort of part of the, the challenge, right? That's what's driving wages higher. You can see that the quit rate right now is at an all-time high, which is you know feeding that wage growth story. So we actually got some good news this week. Um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released their latest JOLTS data, which is job openings, uh, labor turnover survey, JOLTS. And that did show that the number of job openings is actually falling now. It came down by about a million job openings. So that's actually good news from a Fed policy perspective, right? Still a lot of job openings that are out there, but it's kind of trending lower, trending in the sort of a more normal direction. But keep your eye on that quit rate. I think that's going to be really important going forward. Uh, we can go to the next one. And we can jump ahead again. So I'm gonna gonna focus on the office sector. I know David's gonna talk about office as well as some of the other uh, product types, but I'm gonna keep my focus on office. Happy to share thoughts on other product types uh, during Q&A if you'd like. But in terms of the US office market, the fundamentals have gotten hit very hard by the COVID recession uh, and the ongoing work from home dynamic. You can see from the chart, businesses shed a record amount of space uh, U.S. vacancy, we just uh, finished compiling our third quarter numbers. Uh, preliminary numbers shows that uh, U.S. vacancy is at an all-time high now at 17.8%. Uh, for context, it was 13% before the pandemic, right? So vacancy has really shot up. And if you look at those blue bars, I mean, this isn't over, right? uh, You know, businesses are still shedding space on net uh, as of the most recent quarter, Q3. Uh, so you can go to the next one. And again, we uh, you know we see that uh, uh, more vacancy is coming, and I would argue that even if we don't go into recession, um, you know from this chart you can see, uh, you know only 25% of leases have expired since the pandemic started, and so we still have you know over 75% to go. And I I think the pattern couldn't be more clear, you know, businesses are overwhelmingly adopting some type of hybrid workplace solution, which is ultimately resulting in less sort of less demand for space. And so when these leases expire in the coming years, they are likely to create additional vacancy. Right. And, And so I would also argue that some of this empty office space is going to get leased up over time. Right. So as as job growth and, and business more formation continue, right, sort of post recession, that will result in buildings filling up with people. The world hasn't stopped you know, creating babies. And so over time, we'll end up with both right? We'll end up with more people back at the office and more people working from home. But in the near term, as these leases expire, that's almost uh, that is absolutely going to result in more vacancy. So again, very much a very you know occupier friendly market here for the next uh, uh, couple of years at least. Uh, if we go to the next one, um, did want to point out that not not uh, you know th- this notion that everyone is moving out of big cities um, that's been highly overstated. Um, here here are the facts: pre pandemic, uh, forty to fifty percent of all office leasing occurred in the the gateway cities. Right, so gateway cities being New York, San Francisco, Chicago, Boston, L.A., and D.C. So you know, 50 percent occurred in those cities pre-pandemic. Today, it's about the same. Right, so forty-four percent, right, right in that range. Um, certainly, some of the lower-cost markets, you know, in the Sun Belt and the Mountain West and the Midwest, you know, have benefited from you know some migration patterns. Um, but it, it hasn't been in mass. There hasn't been this mass migration out of the big cities. You know, businesses aren't running away from uh, from the largest cities. Uh, they're still very active, still capturing roughly the same amount of leasing activity. Uh, if you go to the next one, please. I uh, also want to just point out kind of similar, uh, uh, you know, central business districts are also, you know, not dead. People are not running away from CBDs. Uh, CBDs accounted for 35% of all leasing that occurred before the pandemic. Today it's at 32% and it's it's climbing, right? So again, it's kind of right in the normal range. I will say that boring neighborhoods are a different story. So uh, I'll define boring as you know, very few restaurant options, sort of tired-looking buildings, tired inventory, no after-work entertainment. You know, those types of neighborhoods are not drawing workers back. But the vibrant neighborhoods that do offer all of that, you know, our data shows that return to office attendance is much, much higher. Uh, we we asked me 30 percentage points higher for the vibrant neighborhoods. Um, so I want to make that point if we go to the next one. Um, so um, I talked about some of the challenges facing the office sector. I also want to point out a couple of the green shoots that we're seeing, because these are important too. it it's sort of confirming that, you know, office remains very important, right? It's it's very relevant to workplace strategy. That really hasn't changed. Um, uh, and I wanna uh, highlight a couple of green sheets. So the return to office has trended higher this year. Um, so back in, in January of this year, if you can remember like the, uh, the Omicron surge, um, only 18% of workers were at the office in any given day. Today, fast forward to today, that's now hovering around 50%. Um, The pre-pandemic norm was really closer to 70%. Uh, I'm not sure that we're ever going to get back to that again. I do think, you know, things have changed. But even if we uh, uh, sort of, 50% is the new norm, 50% of in-person, in-office attendance is the new norm, businesses will still need to accommodate for when there are more than 50% in the office on any given day, right? So I think in particular, really the, the peak space needs for days when the maximum number of employees are in the office for teamwork and communication, I think that's really the metric that's going to drive overall demand for office space going forward. Uh, We can go to the next one. Um, Just another green shoot. Uh, Here we're showing that businesses are signing longer term leases again. I remember during the pandemic there were lots of uh, you know short-term renewals very short uh, term renewals to sort of bridge to a, a period of more certainty but now we're seeing that uh, you know this trend towards longer term leases in fact the average length of a lease in the US signed this year is 74 months so that's a little little over 6 years and that's pretty much identical to the 10 year average right and so I do think that's pretty encouraging. You know, businesses aren't in the habit of just wasting money. You you wouldn't sign a a lease for six years if you didn't think office was really important to your your long-term strategy. And six years is just the average, right? So 41% of businesses, more than four out of 10, are signing leases for 10 years or more. So again, office remains very relevant. It's just changing. Um, One more, I think. Oh oh yeah, another green shoot. Um, So I just wanted to give you a sense of kind of what we're seeing around the country. And I mentioned earlier that you know in the aggregate nationally, you know still seeing uh, businesses shed space, but there are markets that are bucking the trend there uh, across the country. In fact, almost 40% are actually of these markets are absorbing space again. So all of the markets in blue are recording positive positive absorption, meaning that on net. In those markets, businesses are growing into more space, and I think what you can clearly see here is again it's the really the Sun Belt markets, right? It, it, uh, you know, Atlanta, Austin, Dallas, Charlotte, some of the Florida markets, sort of you know leading the way in absorption. Uh, those are cities where the return to office has been stronger, where job growth has been stronger. Uh, you can see the life sciences markets, so a, a Boston. Uh, you know, a Bay Area, you know, also uh, absorbing a healthy amount of space. Handfuls of the Midwest markets, Indianapolis see here, Omaha, right? Some of the lower cost markets also now absorbing. Uh, we can go to the next one. And here, here's really, I think the bottom line, um, and I don't think this is gonna surprise anyone on this call. So the, the flight to quality is very real, right? And in some ways, I think what's happening in the office sector It reminds me a little bit of uh, sort of what happened in the retail sector, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago when e-commerce, you know, began began to challenge a certain percentage of the retail inventory, but it was the sort of the retail concepts that were able to reinvent themselves and that focused on experience, those did fine, right? Those those actually went on to thrive. And, And I think office is going down a similar path, right? Where the lower quality office buildings that really don't give tenants what they want, those buildings are dying out, right? They're becoming obsolete and the pandemic really exposed those buildings because if the office wasn't a good experience before, then why would you go back to it? Given that you can now work from home, that's a pretty viable option for many, but it is the higher quality office space you know, that does satisfy tenant demand, that does office workers something better than the home experience, a fitness center, restaurants, ESG friendly collaborative space, that space is, is emerging as more relevant than ever. And the data is showing that this, so this is showing uh, sort of difference in rent. Pre-pandemic, there was a $9 rent spread between high quality office and low quality office. Today, that spread has jumped to $16 and it continues to grow. Uh, so again, high quality running away from low quality. With that, I think we can go to yours, David. Um, and I'll come back at the end, and I'll I'll kind of run through some takeaway points, and then we'll roll right into Q&A. So, David, over to you.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Um, So, going to go through a few different um, sectors today, so office, industrial, retail, um, and just we'll do some high-level commentary on the Chicago market in general, Um, but please feel free to, um, you know, highlight anything that will be of note or if you have any questions at, at the end of the, the presentation. So I wanted to start with um, sort of the current environment we're in from an office occupier perspective. Kevin mentioned that virtually all office occupiers are reassessing their footprints as a result of the pandemic. And, and that's happening in different ways where this right here is basically a, a compilation of all of the publicly announced um, RTO strategies, return office strategies, and their their footprints in Chicago. But the idea here is not every single company is the same. It's not a single industry. They all have a slightly different strategy. This really sort of uh, you know spans the universe of industries and occupier types. It's 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 less focused than a great financial crisis or the dot com bust or um, uh, oil bust. I think you know, this is something that's impacting everyone. And, and, you know, to Kevin's point, we're seeing that play out across the office market because there is just a uh, fundamentally different need for space moving forward. And even if, um, and, and the, the need for space will always exist, it will just be different. Um, and we're seeing that really play out in the market um, in, in a lot of different ways. So. The pandemic happens start switching to this um, hybrid or or remote work environment and that has an impact on the market so as soon as that happened, we really started to see an increase in tenants shedding space. So on the slide here on on the top, you can see the increase in sublease space quarter over quarter and as the pandemic uh, started, we added 3.1 million square feet of inventory back to the market for from a sublet perspective. And that continues to rise quarter over quarter, and and set new records basically on a, on a quarterly basis, albeit the the pace at W space is that coming back to the market is slowing a little bit. But again, still, um, you know, reflective of this environment where workers or occupiers are looking to shed space, or looking to reevaluate their footprint, and similar to the first slide. Uh, we looked at. I wanted to add this chart on the bottom, and it's basically just saying there's you know a significant amount of opportunity in the sublease market. But there's not again, there's not one type of tenant who's looking to to shed their space. So it really spans the the universe of occupiers and industries, um, and it's really just a, a, a different dynamic post pandemic than it was prior. A lot of these things with technology and and the you know the ability to do teams meetings and, and actually remotely properly things these were things that were sort of going to happen at some point eventually in, in some way shape or form but the pandemic certainly um, exacerbated that trend so we talked about occupiers reevaluating their footprints, giving back some space some space back on the police market. And how does that impacting our vacancy here in Chicago? So you can see, obviously, a, a huge jump from the, the beginning of the pandemic. So from 2020 Q1 to 20 uh, uh, to 2022 Q3, we're talking about 13 million square feet of new vacant space being added to the market. And to Kevin's point, we're, we're late to see that continue to increase, um, again, maybe not at such a rapid clip, but there's still some some vacancy to be uh, captured here in Chicago. Um, and then to put in perspective that 13 million square feet that the headquarters building that we sit in uh, here in Chicago, that's basically the equivalent of 20 of these buildings. So it's it's really a significant amount of vacancy, um, especially with respect to where we've been historically at about 10 or 11 or 12% vacancy in our CBD. Now, Kevin mentioned the flight to quality and I added in the class, a vacancy here as well, because you can see sort of the spread between class, a vacancy and overall vacancy starting to, to widen. And there's a clear outperformance uh, of our class, a market, um, more so than, than in the past. And that is something that has, has started since the, the pandemic. And I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, On the right-hand side here, we just see major occupancies from this quarter. So these were deals that were signed maybe a year or two years ago, but they're actually moving into their space this quarter. And of these 13 deals, 10 of them were buildings delivered after 2018 or 2018 or after, or they were buildings where the ownership invested significant amounts of capital. So if I think about a couple of those buildings, we've got the inter-building building 500 west madison there was about 22 million dollars put into that we've got uh james hardy at through Three wecker ownership put about 35 million into that so so these well capitalized ownerships are are able to invest and, and put that money to back into their buildings and improve them to to improve the the leasing demand and velocity in those buildings improve the amenities or or the or the lobby or the build outs in general so That that flight to quality um, is is a very real theme that we are experiencing right now. And tenants are looking for a way to lease signature space such that they can retain talent, attract talent, establish a a working culture that's different from their competitors, and really just a way to sort of convince people to come back into the office. Because again, I think most most individuals or, or most teams think that the collaborative nature um, of the office helps you innovate. We talked about kind of 13 of those deals going into high quality buildings. This chart here on the left is really, um, I think proving that as uh, the start of the pandemic. So we're looking at the, the trailing four quarters of leasing activity starting at 2020 Q1. So that this really kind of takes into account Whole four quarters of leasing activity prior to the pandemic. And as you can see, obviously leasing activity dropped off a cliff to start the pandemic, but we really started to see a sustained outperformance of our, our trophy and Class A buildings relative to the rest of the market. Uh, and, and, tro- and the trophy market, in fact, surpassed pre-pandemic levels a few quarters ago. So this is really a, a sustained Theme and and something that I think will continue, especially as occupiers to differentiate themselves uh, and and some of the the more functionally obsolete buildings become less of an option for those occupiers. On the right-hand side, you can see how that trophy leasing has um, shaken out over the last couple of years. We're talking about something that was 15% of annual activity in 2019, so before the pandemic and, and well over a fifth or just over a fifth of the activity year to date. So again, just significant emphasis on on very high quality buildings in Chicago. Of course, a, a trophy building would be like BMO Tower, the the tall high rise buildings that just delivered, but a lot of the new construction in the market, there's some construction in River North. A lot of the riverfront um properties are are very highly coveted. So those those types of assets are are um attracting uh you know, a, a large share of the activity. And then at the bottom right here, some some deals. So we're really seeing, and Kevin mentioned it was a, a tenant favorable market. We're really seeing landlords aggressively negotiate with tenants to, to sort of attract them to their space. That's, that's another part of the equation is that prior to the pandemic, um, the, the TI that was being offered to tenants were roughly 14% lower and the free rent was was certainly lower as well so uh, landlords are starting to come out of pocket to to sort of attract that level of occupancy. Um, that will be accretive to their asset. So what is you know we, we saw the outperformance of of class A and, and trophy assets, you know what does that mean current, what does that mean for the outlook so. This we're looking at um, quarter three year to date total leasing by year so. Through 2022, we've got all of our historical leasing, and then 2023 forward is our projected expirations for those Q3 year-to-date periods. Of course, we're we're well below where we were prior to the pandemic. A big chunk of that leasing activity, um, and increasingly so, has been going into a smaller segment of the market, or trophy or Class A buildings. There, there is certainly, you know, I think less. Um, expirations, or, or you know, relatively healthy expirations over the next few years, but as we know, um, with with tenants looking to downsize and reevaluate their footprints, those expirations probably are a little overstated. So what we're talking about in terms of outlook, um, you know, is is a smaller smaller pie, and and that pie also is is focused on a smaller segment of the market. So so it's, it's an interesting nuance, um, but certainly some more, um, I think struggles for the office market broadly speaking but mostly with some of those functionally obsolete buildings in that bottom of the market that will that will certainly link um, what's really interesting though is that this is of course completely at odds with industrial market so in Chicago the industrial market sh- the Chicago industrial market is the, the by far the biggest in the. US uh, centrally located um, benefits from you know multimodal transit, uh, that the airport access very well located and well positioned. you can see here that historical vacancy is is basically at an all-time low and and has been trending that way for several years. even prior to the pandemic, we were moving in a direction of e-commerce and, and online um, um, shopping and, and, and grocery delivery and away from a lot of some of the brick and mortar concepts, and, and the pandemic really exa- exacerbated those trends by forcing people to utilize those things who weren't already utilizing those services. So that created a need for last mile distribution, e-commerce, and frankly, at, at which point in time, there wasn't really that much uh, inventory available anyways prior to the pandemic, we're talking about vacancies that were just a few percentage points higher. So that really led to a lot of new construction and really just a considerable amount of demand for industrial product in our market. Um, and and also too, and and dissimilar to the office market, a lot of these deals, a lot of this activity is coming from out of market. So you know, something that might not show up in the future expirations is is you know new activity um, from uh, outside of market occupiers looking to expand their operations in our region. So we're really seeing a ton of activity, and and that activity is 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 also then driving new construction, which is coming. I think. Coming harder and harder to um, to find relevant lands to to build or to to um, convert into production, but we're we're really still seeing on an annual basis increased construction, whether it's built to suit or speculative, um, really just a significant amount of development. You can see in 2022 we've got about 14 million feet of speculative construction underway. Um, speculative, of course, meaning you're, you're Building, investing, and in, and in, and delivering on the building without a tenant um, in the pocket. So it's 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 more of a, a risky play from the developer's perspective. But demand is so strong that developers are are you know, totally comfortable with uh, delivering a building without having a, a tenant in their pocket. Um, which I think just goes show how how strong this market is, and and sort of dissimilar from the office market, you know. Very, very few developers would, would break ground on a building right now without significant pre-leasing. So um, just a very interesting dynamic and difference there. It's very similar to the office market put together this slide here, you can see historical leasing is, is really robust, especially the last few years. We've had record leasing in 2021, um, the, the second highest level of leasing uh, to date in, in 2022. And of course, our operations look, I think, relatively low, but this doesn't account necessarily for the expansions that will take because of the, the really strong industrial market. And again, the, the new to market tenants um, that will be um, coming to the market to be centrally located in this multimodal uh, hub here in Chicago. So really a, a robust outlook for the industrial market, albeit potentially slightly slower, just given economic concerns. Um, And and I think just a a general slowdown in the market. I was talking to um, a a broker and they mentioned that uh, they would receive proposals on on their their buildings, um, several before they would even become available or before they would even break ground. And they're still receiving uh, a a very, a a record level um, number of proposals on those spaces. It's just come down a little bit. So the market is still incredibly strong. but certainly has some headwinds with just the general economy, the cost of construction, the uh, labor shortage, which makes it challenging for these these large industrial users to attract talent. Um, but again, the the Chicago market, industrial market in particular, is 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 well positioned for growth. On the retail side, one of the great things we've seen um, significant retail market improvement since the start of the pandemic. Um, there there were certainly some declines at the outset. But retail sales have really, really come back in a big way. Uh, A lot of that's just driven by strong demographic trends here in Chicago. Um, And then just, you know, a simple simply the market just recovering uh, in its own right. But some of the major contributors to this retail sales growth, we're talking about apparel, uh, food and beverage, um, vehicles, a lot of those have recovered or gone or have recovered more so than where they were prior to the pandemic. Um, and, and that's, I think that is, is um, you know, exemplified in this slide here where we're seeing on the left-hand side really an increase in visitors in many of the, the retail assets across our region. So um, the red represents on the left-hand side here outdoor malls, and we can see that the, the outdoor malls um, have seen significant increase in foot traffic. Um, And then also combined with just a lack of new supply over the last 10 years um, and the demand for retail coming back, we've seen really strong um, rent growth at the same time. So um, there are certainly some retail, of the retail market that are suffering. Of course, uh, retail, that's fine on the the office market in the central loop. I know LaSalle Street uh, retailers have had some troubles, but in well-positioned, uh, retail assets in the in the like Ken mentioned, the not boring markets. Those are, those are doing very very well, and, and retail is actually uh, sort of the the best kept secret um, right now in a commercial real estate market. So, just a, a, a mixed bag in terms of the performance of these sectors. Just really dependent on the asset positioning uh, for office and retail, and then on the industrial side things are are extremely robust. Uh, But just slightly slower than it was in the the past year. Kevin, I don't know if you wanted uh, to take this. Um,
0: uh, Great, David. I uh, learned a lot there from that presentation. It actually made me feel a little better about things. Um, (laughs) So uh, I'm actually going to skip this. Um, I think this kind of, I'm sure that um, Sheila and Cornette will circulate the slide deck and you can. You know, uh, if you want, you can spend more time with that. Those are just a summary of some you know some takeaway points from uh, coming at it from an occupier perspective. Um, I want to roll right into QA since we have about 10, 15 minutes left and I saw some good questions come in. Um David, can you go to the next slide? I think that is the last one. Oh yeah, okay, good. So um so first question, let me uh, sort through that. Okay, so first question is. Uh, when will the hybrid model and the need to bid build culture converge? Um, and then there's more to this question. Have we actually seen if there is a true bottom line impact to the business to know that office space shedding will still be you know, strong long-term? You know, Do you think this will ever swing back due to the need to foster and build culture within an organization uh, so really good. Que- that's the essence of the question, which is a good one. Um, I'll take a stab, and then David, feel free to you know share your perspective if it's, if it's any different, if you have uh, anything you want to add to it. But I think my my response to that is we're still learning. I think, I think we're all still learning a lot about the future of office. Um, hybrid is a new experiment, right? For many companies, and and many are are just starting now to kind of think about it. And, and fostering culture is not easy uh, to do in that new environment, right? I mean, traditional office space where, where we're all sitting together all of the time, virtually every single day, um, that, that was already a lot easier in terms of, right? Uh, in ter- from a cultural perspective, from a company culture perspective, um, right? You know, a hybrid environment, it doesn't always feel like you're on the same team, right? If, if we're, we're sort of scattered and so my sense is that, that there will be some swing back you know, to more in-person in, in the office. And I think in particular, who's going to drive that, interestingly enough, um, are going to be the young people, the younger generation, probably people like David, um, who, because our, our surveys show kind of overwhelmingly that you know, younger millennials, Gen Z, generally prefer to be in the office they, they feel like they're not so much. They feel disconnected from the company culture, and it's very difficult to sort of prove yourself when you're working remotely. And so I do think that there's going to be a, 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 at least some swing back, but I also think flexibility is king. And I think it, it makes too much economic sense. I think bosses and managers and you know CFOs prefer it because there's a, sa- yeah, a cost savings aspect to it. And I think in general, workers like the flexibility, right? They but want to be in the office, but they also want the option of working from working remotely when they need to. So I think we're going to see a lot of different models emerge as businesses figure this out. How do we balance productivity, culture, employee satisfaction? I think you're going to see a lot of evolution of office space as businesses figure that out. Um, that's, that's sort of my take on it, David. I don't know if you have anything, a uh, different read on that or anything you want to add?
1: Oh no, I, I totally agree. I think the the some of the survey data that we had been collecting originally, um, you know, showed some of the 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 ideas behind, you know, why someone maybe wouldn't want to come to the office or why they would want to work, work remotely. A lot of it was like the flexibility, and I think some of the data we're seeing now is is more tied to the 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 issue with the commute. So I think we're, we're starting to see a lot of office occupiers make types of moves that I think will have a beneficial impact on the commute. For instance, Google just relocated or are planning to relocate from Fulton Market, which is our top tier market, to the Thompson Center um, to sort of, I think, battle that issue with the commute. Um, but at the same time, um, create an environment that is easy for your employees to get to and, and collaborate. But I, I think I think that. This environment, like Kevin said, makes too much sense from a bottom line perspective, and I, and I think is here to stay in some respects. Um, but it will it will evolve. Yeah,
0: good point on the the commuting patterns, and that's definitely a major part of the equation. Um, okay, here's here's another one. Um, how will construction costs impact both development and leasing activity? Uh, across the office and industrial sectors. So, uh, how about David? You want you want to take the first crack at that?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think in in terms of leasing, there's there's just more lead time involved in building out your space and getting all of the materials. So, it, it puts a damper on leasing in in terms of the the time it takes to get a deal done from from start to finish. I also think occupiers might avoid, um, you know, taking new space or building out signature space, if that is a a cost is something that's too much for them to take on. So I think I think it will have a dampening impact on on leasing activity from an office perspective. Not sure many developers are going to are going to develop office right now at the moment. And on the industrial side, um, I I think that construction will continue to happen. Um, It's just a matter of, where it's just a matter of the financials involved in the deal. How much did they get the land site for? Do did the did the numbers make sense? But I, I certainly think construction pricing will will have um, a dampening impact on both construction and leasing, um, but perhaps per, not to uh, an extreme extent.
0: Yeah, uh, and the only thing I would add, agreed. I, I think for office, I, I guess I guess I come at this from a little bit of a different way of of, of thinking about it. So. The I think you said basically the development pipeline is likely to slow. And I completely agree with that. I think most developers, well, most developers do borrow money to build and the cost of borrowing has shot up. And I we haven't had construction loan rates, mortgage rates this high in, in 25 years. And and so and, and lenders aren't exactly thrilled you made this point to to offer that debt given the economic uncertainty. So the construction on office, I think, is going to slow fast. And one way to think about that for for you know corporate occupiers is, I think that's going to place an even greater premium on existing high quality space, right? Because you don't have the wave of supply. There's what's what's under in the works is going to get finished, but then there's it's going to I think it's going to slow fast. And so I think it's going to be very competitive, actually, for you know, that, that higher quality product that seemingly an overwhelmingly number of of tenants and occupiers really want. So, um, you know, I think that's just something to keep in mind. I got another one here, uh, David, which I I think, so this is my strategy. I'm just going to give you the question and it gives me time to actually form an answer. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but here's one, um, what property sector is most significantly impacted by the current labor shortage issues? And how long do we expect these conditions, I guess the labor shortage conditions to persist?
1: Um, That's, I mean, that's really tough because the the way that I think about it is impacting every sector in a significant way. Um, I would, if I'm I'm just gonna jump in and and choose a sector, I guess my choice would be industrial. Um, just because there's so much demand for industrial space man to and, and there's opportunity for occupiers to expand and increase their footprints. But the amount of labor does not scaling or increasing with the uh, amount of demand for that space, I think, in, in the near term, just based on the, con- the current environment, the labor shortage, probably impacts the industrial market a little bit more but it's certainly impacting every sector in some way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, hitting every sector, group, agree, agree with what you said there. I, I'll, I'll take maybe the second part of that question, how long these labor shortages persist? And I think the my short answer to that is longer. Um, there, there are some signs that the labor markets are sort of loosening up. Um, labor force participation has been gradually trending higher. It's still well below pre-pandemic levels, but trending higher. I think we I saw there's an extra or uh, an additional 800,000 more people that enter the workforce last month, so that's some good news. Um, the number of people that are not working due to the coronavirus, either they're sick or or they're you know caring for people who are sick or they they fear getting other people sick. So that overall number that's kept so sort of stayed out of the workforce is starting to trend lower. So they are starting to, to enter back into the workforce. So there's some. I think inflation actually is a kind of a motivator. If if you think about, you know, there's a one one in one one income household, you know, maybe there's a need for a, a two income household to sort of help support the family through this higher inflation environment. So I think there's some forces that are helping the the labor shortages challenge. But I also think um, what happened was the baby boomer generation you know, sort of exited uh, a large portion, exited the workforce, they retired early and they're not coming back. And I think the economy is going to be sort of dealing with that uh, for quite some time. So I think that labor, lack of labor supply is going to be a challenge uh, for quite some time, at least next couple of years. Okay, we only have a couple minutes left, David, and I always like to end webinars with my own question because I always feel like I depress everyone and I like to end on something positive. And so let's do that. David, I'm going to ask you to tell me something good. What makes you optimistic about the future?
1: Yeah, so I, I think uh, for Chicago and Illinois in general, I, I would say um, demographic strength. One, I think if there were there were some preliminary estimates that they or or the city were actually losing uh, population, but that's actually not the case. So I think you know demographic strength, continued population growth, albeit. Potentially slow. I, I think that's a, a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then two other things. One, Chicago has the most diversified economy of all large uh, U.S. markets, and I think that plays well with talking about um, economic uncertainty that that may not have uh, more of an impact on certain sectors and industries. And then the last thing that I'm really um, excited about, I think, is is more tied to sort of this the sense of an innovative economy. I think you mentioned earlier, uh, it was mentioned earlier that you guys go visit, I think, Lincoln Yard. So we've got Lincoln Yards, Fulton Market, the uh, Discovery Partners Institute on the 78th that's supposed to break ground uh, in 2024. But I think the opportunity for life science to really expand and take off in this market is is exceptional. And and that, with it, will drive uh, a significant amount of growth. and we're we're seeing that a lot in the, the the venture capital numbers already last year the the amount of venture capital invested into chicago companies doubled and, and so too did the uh number of um, venture capital unicorns. so um i think i think there are certainly some some bright spots around the innovative economy how diversified our economy is um but also just general demographic strength in our, in our market
0: strong answer uh give me three three reasons to be optimistic I'll, I'll do one. So um, for me, uh, uh, I, I'm optimistic largely due to the strength of the U.S. consumer. And I think going into this slowdown, you know, we know that household balance sheets are in excellent shape. Uh, debt service ratios are very low. So people largely can make their monthly payments and still have money left over to spend. There's still a lot of excess savings. Right. So people keep spending at a reasonably healthy rate. This may not feel like a recession. Really, at all. Uh, so, you know, there there is a, a sort of a positive script there. Business profits will, will are very high right now. Those could hold up. Labor markets could hold up. I'm extremely encouraged by some of the trends that we we're observing in the entrepreneurship data, which was just going gangbusters going before this slowdown. Right. So, lots of applications to start your own business, which I think on the other side of this means lots of good things, lots of jobs lots more wealth, you know, more products for all of us to enjoy. And I am just always in awe of the U.S. economy's ability to, to sort of bounce back and usually pretty quickly. And I have no doubt that that it, it will bounce back again. So that's how, that's my optimistic view. I think we're at time um, again. I really appreciate you all joining. Hopefully you found this helpful.